This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, Nomad Futurist. This is your co-host, Nabil Mahmood, currently from Kailua, Kona, Hawaii. This is your co-host, Philip Gomez from Montclair, New Jersey. And this is Luke Kipfer from beautiful Ashburn, Virginia. Luke, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Let's start to get to know you a little bit. Could you tell us what do you do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I run Powerhouse Data Center's execution of all of our projects. So manage the, the deployment and build of our data center right now in Northern Virginia, but expanding on. So, you know, I've been in the construction industry my entire life, joined ARA Powerhouse early last year. So, you know, really dedicated, mission critical last 13, 14 years of my life. So, you know, I just, just, just love being a part of the data center industry. Now, how did you get involved in the data center industry? Just looking through your background, you've got a bachelor's degree in project management and operations and a master's degree in project management. Now, where, where was that spinoff? How did you get involved in the, in the, in the whole data center nerd, nerdy stuff? You know, it, 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 this is one of my, my favorite questions that you guys always ask because everyone does have a really diverse way of how they came into this industry. You know, I, I was 17 straight out of high school, you know, went, went right into the trade. So went right to work for a mechanical contract. You know, we, we did a lot of specialty systems. We did some mission critical, some telco, but also, you know, healthcare, manufacturing, pharmaceutical, some, some specialty refrigeration systems. And that, that, that aspect, the mission critical aspect of it always really interested me. You know, I, I was working for a mechanical contractor for seven or eight years. Where I was at, I was in upstate New York and that, that contractor was really pivoting away from some of the, the specialty systems and into more of a commercial model. And I, and that's not the way I saw myself going or my career going. So, you know, that, that what I would call 10, 20% of what I was doing that was mission critical, um, that, that always resonated with me. And I said, I, I need to do this full time. So, you know, started looking for, you know, other positions within the opportunity, within the industry, knew I was going to move and, you know, ended up making the move to Boston to, to Markley Group, who's a colo, retail colo provider and really the carrier hotel of New England. All right. So before we get into all of that stuff. Yeah. When did you start? Do you start working? 17? 17. So, yeah, no, I was, I started, you know, summer in, in high school before that, you know, if it was, if it was one one thing my dad drilled into me, it was worth ethic. So it was, you know, up, up on job sites, you know, when I didn't have school and on summers. And so, you know, I, I was 17 years old, you know, straight out of high school, watching coils on, you know, lever system three crack units. I'm going to start checking into some of the child labor laws in our state. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. So, yeah I, I think he got the dad <laughs> sign off. <laughs> but, all right. At, at, as a 17 year old, how did you end up picking mechanical systems? So I, I, I did it. You know, it was one of those, you know, my, my dad was, was in the trade. He was a mechanical contractor. I, I would say at, at that point in my life, if I would have went straight in the, straight into higher education, straight into college, it, I wouldn't have gotten the value out of it that I did going back later in life. You know, I, I just frankly wasn't, you know, emotionally or mentally mature enough to, to see the value in that higher education. And, um, so I, I you know, around the house wasn't an option. So I was going to work. So, you know, it, it was straight, straight to the job site right out of high school, which was, which was amazing. It, honestly, I'm, I'm very glad that my path took me that way. You know, and I, I was, you know, 
carrying tools, working on job sites seven or eight years in my professional career. And I, it just gave me a real appreciation for not just the people that do that, but but really what goes into making a project successful and, you know, some of those real constraints that, you know, potentially getting a, a project management degree and sitting behind a gosh, doesn't, doesn't really teach you. I think yeah. there's something to be said for that. The, the, the notion of you know, I, I think when, when when I was a kid also, there was always this notion that, you know, you, you needed to have, you know, a job. You needed to understand, you, at the time, it was like, understand the value of money. Don't just come to me asking me for, you know, you know money to go to a movie or something. Just, you know, try to understand that fundamental value of money. And it seems like that kind of ethos has, has kind of changed a little bit. It's not really, It's not really about the job and the value of money these days anymore as much as it is. Everything has become, you know, resume building and you know, try to set yourself up to be, you know, best suited for university and the experience and, and, and all of that, because it's, it's become a rat race. You have to apply in, in my circles, you have to apply to put kids into elementary school. You have to set up the kids. Whereas, you know, where, when I was a kid and, you know, looking at me, you wouldn't be able to tell this. It wasn't that long ago. When I was a kid, you know, you went to the school that was closest to your house, like a bus came to pick you up or God forbid you walk to school, which, you know, these days they probably call child protective services. Right. <laughs> and, and it, it, you know, the, the, the working element of it just became about, you know, paying your way and, and understanding the value of money rather than trying to, you know, establish some sort of resume that you're building from the time you're a kindergartner. And I, I the value of that work that you experienced and, and that, that experience feels like it's, it's so much more valuable than just trying to, you know, suggest that you were, you know, some, you know, doing, doing something on the side or working for some, you know, organization that was, it's associated with, you know, just something that's not as physical as tangible. Sure. Yeah. 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 No, and I think we're really doing, you know, the, the youth a little bit of a disservice by not pushing trades more heavily on, on kids coming out of school. Cause I, I, I gotta imagine there are a lot of people that were in the same position that I was, but you know, it, it's just, going straight to college out of high school isn't for everyone. And, and, and frankly, there's some really lucrative jobs in the, the trades too, you know, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't make a, I don't know a plumber that doesn't make six figures. You know, if you go to high schoolers, they, they don't understand those kind of things. And it, it not just the, the financial rewards, but there, there's something really fulfilling about going to a job, doing a project and seeing that, that tangible completion at the end where, you, you know, you can drive by a building and say, you know, I built that building, you know, I, I've installed those chillers there. There's really something fulfilling about, you know, at the end of the day, seeing your hard work manifest itself into a, a project that, that, that it's hard to get anywhere else. And the thing about a trade that's so interesting is, you know, people, you use it in everyday life. You know, it's just like, I look at my, 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 my kids are young, right? So they're six and 10 year old, 10 years old. My son clogs the toilet. It's like I, I have become the plumber, you know? So, so being able to like allow, you know, you know, people to understand how to actually do things for themselves is, is a lost art. And I knew this all, I do this when, when, when I started raising my kids, there is just no way I'm going to be the one that shows them how to be a man. Cause you know, I, I think, you know, it's just not, it's not me that thankfully, you know, I have Cub Scouts to teach them how to tie knots, <laughs> how to do any of that stuff. But, you know, it's 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 so valuable to have like real world experience and things like trades that you use in your everyday life. And it's, it's like a superpower. Yeah, I think that's kind of lost over the years, especially with, you know, there, there was a period of time where degrees were more important than the skill set and or trades. And I, I believe where we are right now, it's sort of coming back whereby 
you know, it's being recognized that there isn't enough people doing the trades. There's more people wanting corner office jobs. So tell us about your siblings, anybody else in the tech industry. Of course, there's that influence from your dad being in the mechanical element of her business. And that was your influence to get into the data center space. Anybody else in your family that that's in this space or was influenced to get into the space? No, no, really. It was just, you know, me along the staff. I've got older sister, younger sister, both both amazing, both super successful. But for, for better or for worse, I was the only one that, I'm the only one that sits around the dinner table and talks about data centers, so... <laughs> Well, uh, there, there you go. At least someone's talking about data centers. Right. The <laughs> they don't want to listen to me, but I'm still talking about them. <laughs> well, if you tell them how much they rely upon them and they don't know it, it's, it's probably... Uh, Wait, sis, I'm going to turn off your TikTok account? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So then, 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 then you decided to go out, go to school after your ten year spell as a service manager and service technician. Why did you end up picking project management versus you were on the mechanical end? Was there a reason why you chose not to pursue mechanical engineering or any other engineering for that fact? Uh, you know, ultimately, it was just the way I think I I developed professionally that I understood I'm. I'm a better project manager than I'm a tradesman. Right? <laughs> you know I, mean? I, I do a better job managing product than I do building things. There, there's some amazing skilled tradesmen out there. And while, while I did it for a while, I fully understand there's a, a great deal of people who are a lot better at it than I was. So it, it, it really just aligned with with the way, um, you know, the, the way my brain works or the way I like to see projects executed. And the, the one thing I like about project management is that you see the whole picture, right? You know, if you go to mechanical engineering, you've got to understand how your systems interact with the building, but ultimately you're you're a little bit tunnel vision on mechanical engineering, right? You know, and, and certainly for for several of the other aspects, but with project management, you're, you're starting from the very need of a project, the very need of some new feature of, of some new building. I mean, you, you see it all the way through. So I really like the, you know, back to that job satisfaction. I really like the satisfaction of, of seeing projects, seeing ideas come, you know, come all the way from that, that initial light bulb that goes off in someone's head all the way until we're, you know, actually deploying compute power. So that, that, that aspect of project management has, has really always been very interesting. It makes that, it makes all the sense in the world to me from the outside. You know, if I, I if, if anybody asks me what I do after getting the blank stare about trying to explain to them what a data center is over the course of the last 30 years, at the end of the day, I look at myself as a problem and the best mechanical engineers I've ever worked with, the best, you know, HVAC technicians and, and, and UPS technicians I've, I've ever worked with understand like fundamentally why you're utilizing the systems that they're that they're working on and and frankly the best data center technicians i've ever worked with the ones that have gone on in their career have exhibited a kind of curiosity about you know the the entire you know the 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 entire scope of what we do what our customers do why they use the environments that we maintain so you know, I, I totally get it. I think I think it it, it, it gives you more visibility and, and probably, you know, a more fulfilling, you know, kind of scope of work because you, you kind of it's it's tangible. It's real. The stuff that you do, you know, you kind of understand how it's being used. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as until the project management piece in school and even when you came out of school, was there like a particular focus that you had, like you wanted to focus mechanical, electrical construction? Any, any vertical or you know, was I was pretty generic? No, it was pretty generic. You know, I was with, with my background in mechanical contracting. I've, I've always, you know, been, been pulled to that one, that aspect of the industry a little bit more than others. But, you know, understanding going into data centers, especially when I went to data centers full time, 
was really, you know, leveling up, especially on the electrical side, you know, and then understanding the whole ecosystem. So, you know, certainly love um, the, the full life cycle of the project. So I, I, I wouldn't call myself a, a specialist. I, I really love, which is one of the great things that in my role now is, you know, really taking projects from from site selection and acquisition all the way up to a fully commissioned data center. So really being able to see from the, the real estate side, from the lending side, from the zoning and permitting side, you know, all the way to, you know, working with the design team, working with the contractors, working with the end user requirement. So, you know, just, it, it, it's amazing to, to drive by a piece of dirt you don't own and then drive by it three years later and there's a data center there that's supporting load. Like that, that that's just, you know, that, that's what I'm here for. That, that it's just a very fulfilling aspect of the job. I think that's got to be the most exciting feeling, you know, when you walk, when you drive by a building, that's what I built. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love, you know, love, you know, driving down Loudoun County Parkway and seeing our, our signs on buildings under construction. That it, It's just, it, it's what, what I wake up for in the morning, you know. Do you have, uh, do you have, do you have favorites? And so you have to ask, like, like you asked, like your children ask you, because all of them are, are to a certain extent, your children, right? What's your favorite, what's your favorite building? That, that, you know, that, that's a, that's a really good question. You know, I, I don't know if I have a, 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 a favorite building. It's really to me, um, more, more the, the relationships and the teams that I work with on the building. Like I, I love the buildings and when I, but when I drive by, I get that, that sense of fulfillment, but I really, I, I think less about the building and think about who I work with on that project to build the building. And that, that's one, one aspect about project management that I love is that collaboration and, and the communication with, with, such a diverse group of teams that you need to to execute on those projects. But, you know, I'll, I'll drive by a building and laugh because I was like, oh, you know, I remember when the architect I was on this one made this mistake or, you know, not, not, to, <laughs> not to be exact. I knew that you only you get remembered by your <laughs> mistakes. Nobody ever remembers the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, we, we want to hear one or, or two of those mistakes. But yeah, it's really, it's really the, the, you know, the the people and the teams. When when I look back on some of my favorite projects, it's really anchored in, you know, the the people that executed on those projects, you know, with me versus, you know, a, a big hunk of concrete with some chillers in it, you know. So speaking of a big hunk of concrete with some chillers in it, I think people understand People understand construction. They understand mechanical engineering. They understand cooling and, and water towers. What what is it? What what do you think has either surprised you the most or or is most unique about applying construction and project management and and mechanical engineering to the kind of data center or mission critical infrastructure that that you've been managing over the course of the last? Oh my God, it's been twenty years now. I, I the the aspect that uh, that. I really focus on it is really the criticality of it. You know, I, I think in a lot of other industries, you know, failures of equipment, failures of practices, failures of design are, I don't want to say tolerated, but they're, they're more accepted within the industry where with, in the data center industry, it's not. So, you know, going into projects that are, um, they're all, they're all aggressive schedules, right? I, I don't know if I've ever gotten a data center project and be like, wow, yeah, that's really going to be easy to get done on. I'm like, they're, they're all super aggressive schedules behind, uh, you know, everyone's building as fast as they can. And the, the margin for error is just so small. You know, one, one design error, error can cause a failure. You know, one commissioning, one thing you missed on commissioning, you know, mistorking lugs on a UPS. There's, there's just so many little things that can lead to such disastrous results that, you know, being able to, move so quickly, but have such an attention to detail is really what 
you know, attracted me to the industry. And I, I think it, you know, the, the best people from other industries here as well. You know, there's plenty other if you're, you're building out office spaces or you're building out, you know, hotels or apartment, you know, I think there, there's people that fit into that role. And I think it, it takes a, a special individual to really thrive under, you know, that, that extra level of stress that comes along with mission critical and data center build. That's why we earned, Nabil accepted from this, from this thing being the exception to the rule is we've earned our hairlines. <laughs> Although yours <laughs> frankly looks like more of a choice than mine is, but I'm going to put us in the same. If I, if I did a hair like Nabil, I would grow it out too. So that- uh, it's true. Well, it's, it's really, clearly he's not been on the commissioning <laughs> side as much as. The, yeah, I have a lot well, of audio conditioners. <laughs> Yeah, I've 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 earned other stripes, Phil. And you, oh, I get it. I, you've earned you've earned you've earned all the gray, gray. And <laughs> so, Luke, you know, share with us what's the most exciting thing about what you do. You know, I I think for for me personally, it, seeing how the the industry changes. You know, it, it's obviously the the way we're doing data center builds and deployments now are different than, very different than we did it 10 years ago, very different from five years ago and an extreme polar opposite from 10 years ago, right? So in terms of, you know, excitement, you know, great thing about my position is that we're working with some of the, the biggest hyperscalers, the bigger biggest operators in the market, you know, the people that are really driving new technologies that are driving sustainability, that are driving initiatives and have, have the capital to be able to make those changes. So to really be on the forefront of that and see, hey, we're working with Hyperscaler Act, uh, they're, they're deploying the, this new cooling methodology. And to, to see how that that new technology impacts and, and how we're, we're able to keep up with this this crazy demand curve of, you know, increased needs as well too. So I, I, I just, I, the industry is great because it's so dynamic and it, it's just, it's always changing. There's always new technology there's always new need to fulfill. There's always new constraints. So really seeing, being on kind of the cutting edge and seeing what's next, that, that, that's what's most exciting for me. The, uh, you're in, you're, you're not, we haven't talked about your transition from Boston down to, down to Loudoun County and, and, and Ashburn, but you, you're, you're in probably the most dense corridor of, of, of data center builds on the planet. And, you know, to, to pull on that thread of, of constraints, you know, you hear all these stories about how, you know, there's limited power. I think, did I see something where Robert Duvall is now the, at 93 years old? Um, protesting protesting a data center build in Prince William County, yeah. which, you know, I couldn't be more timely, right, than, than, than this conversation. He's probably protesting one of them. So, you know, what, what is that process like, you know, in, in terms of, does, does anything surprise you there? Like, I imagine a hyperscaler comes to you and says, you know what, we need another, I don't even know what the 10 megawatts, 30 megawatts, I, I don't know what the you know, the, the, the characteristics of the facilities they look to you to build are, but you know, how do, how do you deal with determining whether you have that capacity and is that constraint an issue in, in where you are today? But certainly the constraints are an issue, you know, it, anyone following Northern Virginia knows that the issue that Dominion's had with the transmission constraints, obviously a very vocal neighbor protest and Prince William count with what they're doing there with the, the we're talking to you, Duval. That, that, and you know, one thing. Even in, in Loudoun County, you know, Loudoun County is getting stricter with, with zoning regulations for data centers. They're, they're being much more prescriptive and intentional on where they're allowing data centers to be built. You know, what areas of the county data center should go and what areas of the county data center shouldn't go in. And, and 
part of that too is, you know, the, especially in Ashburn, all the two, three, four story data centers that are going in as well too. So that, that shift to going vertical, especially in Northern Virginia, you know, at one time there's all these one story data centers and it, it could be one thing to a neighbor, but if all of a sudden you're putting it in a four story data center, you know, that, that thing's not flying under the radar, right? Like you see that thing from a long ways away. So I think that that has really ramped up in terms of the necessity for neighbor relation, you know, for, for, to people to understand the benefits of data centers, what they're doing to the tax base in Loudoun County, what they provide in terms of, you know, they're, they're not adding traffic, they're adding this, this huge amount of tax revenue and they're satisfying a need for that, that area, for that neighborhood, the amount of high paying tech jobs they bring in. So I, I think it's really education of, of the community, education of the neighbors to understand these aren't, these aren't big, giant environmental disasters that, that are going next to your building. Like the, these are there to serve a need of the community. They're bringing in great jobs. They're paying in tons of taxes. They're not contributing traffic, you know, j- just trying to get people to understand what, what they are. Back to your point, when you say what you do and people give you a blank stare, they don't know what data center is. There's a lot of scare out there that, you know, they're, they're just these big, noisy, loud pollution sites. So it's really raising the level of education with, with some of these, these communities to, to show the benefits of having data centers there. So, so, so yeah, huh? no, no question. I, I think there's obviously that's the biggest misconception, right? That they're, they're big environmental disasters. One of the things we say all the time is that, you know, we're one of the few industries where our bottom lines are positively impacted the more efficient we make the data center because power is such a huge cost for data centers. So we're the only ones that aren't just performative in our, you know, sustainability goals, not because we're the best people in the world, but because there's an economic impact to making things yeah. as, as, as efficient as possible. How do you think we need to actually educate the broader audience, and especially these local folks that have zero idea what data and data center is? What do we uh, need you to know, do? Yeah, I, I think it, 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 there's several prongs to the approach. Part of it, part of it comes on with one developers like, like what I'm working for to, to try and educate. You know, I, I think that it needs to be an approach from different, different levels. We, we need to have local community government support, you know, we have to have the people within the government understand the benefits of the data centers and, and be able to help educate the people in their area. I think as operators um, of data centers, you know, we need to be involved in community relations and then, you know, local trade organizations. you know, for example, we're, we're hosting a, a 5k with seven by 24 DC chapter next month where data center coalition is doing, you know, a, a, a kind of a, a data center job fair where people can come in and learn about data centers and jobs in the data centers and what they are and that, that, that they're not the big, scary environmental disasters that, you know, they're really a, a added benefit to the community when they go in. So I, I, I don't think there's one, there's not one single solution, right? It's not just saying, hey, developers need to go out and run a PR campaign. It, it, it's not just the government side. It, it's really a relationship with, everyone that touches the industry to be proactive on these neighbor relations, you know, not just go in, file a site plan for 300 megawatts worth of the data center build and wait for the neighbor reaction. Like, you know, we, we, we as an industry need to be ahead of it in terms of getting the message out there and, and educating the communities that these things are built in. If only there was a foundation that was created to, to focus on the education. <laughs> exactly. What a perfect segue. What a perfect segue. Yeah, I was Amazing. Well, we'll better, you know what? We're bringing yes. you, we're, we're bringing you with us on the road. <laughs> so good. But look, I think the, one of the, one of our like core goals at Nomad Futures Foundation is not just 
to educate communities once they get to the point where, you know, they have a 92 year old man picketing in front of a data center site, but to try to get, you know, the younger generation engaged and and recognizing that data centers are what are enabling all of the applications they're using in their regular lives. You know, I have, again, a six and a 10 year old who are being taught in school as part of their STEAM programs, how Google Classroom works, and they know how to do it perfectly. What they don't know is why Google Classroom works. Because to them, it just like, even to the teachers in many cases, you know, take for granted the fact that there's just some way that something in some random 150 year old school in a suburban New York community is, is somehow connecting to a data center that you built in Ashburn. And it's just magically happening through, you know, the air. Let's go yeah, cloud. The cloud. So the more, the more we can educate on a younger basis, the more we can avoid what is happening now. Anytime you look at Congress and they're like bringing the tech executives in front of Congress, they're asking the most embarrassing questions. You, could <laughs> you know, like having, you know, your, your grandparents, you know, and I'm not trying to age shame anyone. It's just like, you know, trying to get Tim Cook to explain why, you know, Elon Musk's application works a certain way on his phone. It's just, it, it's just it, like relationally, it doesn't, it's like, that's not what we, that's not the part that I control on, 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 on the thing. And, and part of that is, you know, not really like being so rel- re- reliant on technology without providing the foundational tools that, that people need throughout their education from early childhood education through, you know, continuing education on how all these things we're using. How could you expect anyone to understand how any of this works if we're just, you know, as part of the sales pitch for these applications, we're making them feel like it's magic. Yeah. Well, that's what's been promoted over the years. And unfortunately, being a very young industry, you know, and and, and growing at the rate that we have grown, we have actually forgotten what foundational elements mean. And we, we, we don't talk about the criticality or the reason why, what we are doing, why we're doing it. So I've, I've got a question for you, and you're probably the right guy for this. In the gold rush era, everybody moved out west. In the data rush era, everybody's moving out east. And Ashburn <laughs> is two-thirds of the data compute. With all the limitation restrictions and, and concerns that are coming forth, particularly in Loudoun County, what do you see the future of compute, particularly in the east coast is? Yeah, these traditional hubs like Ashburn aren't going to go away, right? At least not in any time in the foreseeable future. Ashburn's still going to be a a extremely desirable place to deploy your capacity. But yeah, what we're seeing in some of the tier two markets now is an insane amount of growth for for some of these markets. You know, certainly, you know, look at Quantum Loophole. Five years ago, would you think that anyone would... Be successful well, doing gigawatts five, in Maryland, you know? <laughs> yeah, and five years ago, that would have been vaporware. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly pushing towards tier two market. Um, you know, outside of neighbor relations, outside of power, just just look at the the land cost in Ashburn, Virginia, for a, a zone data center site. It's it, it just there, there's no way that the growth that they've had, at least in terms of sprawl, is going to be sustainable. What what I would see in mature markets like Ashburn is redevelopment of existing data center sites. So going back to that data center that was built 10, 15 years ago as a single story and 125 watts a square foot or something like that, that, that gets scraped, that gets built down, and then you've got a, a multi-story denser data center going in its place. But ultimately with the with the power constraints, with with the neighbor relations, with land costs, that you know, the, the data center sprawl in Loudon is going to be constrained. And it, it's certainly 
what's happened with here with Dominion has, has pushed a lot of major projects to secondary towards tier two markets. You know, one one comment I heard just a couple of weeks ago was that, you know, years ago, everyone was, was chasing the hyperscalers around, right? A hyperscaler would go make a new availability zone, you would do a big campus somewhere and people would bet that they'd expand and they'd go buy a lion around the hyperscaler. You know, it's to the point now where they're, they're going wherever the power is, right? So if you go take down a site and you've got, you know, 800 acres and, you know, three, 400 megawatts, they'll, they'll come to you versus you chasing them around. So it, it's a really change in the market dynamic, you know, because it's not just Ashburn, you know, Chicago, Santa Clara. There's a lot of markets that are really getting power constrained. So, you know, if you're able to get a campus size site that, that's developable for data center and power availability, even if it's not in what would be traditionally a data center market, you've got a good chance to get that thing lead. Well, what's, what's amazing about it is a lot of the hyperscalers now have become, you know, full full scale network companies. You know, they can they can yeah. bring fiber to themselves in a way that, you know, they 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 were not able to several years ago, both subsea, transatlantic, you know, and, and you know, you have Google laying fiber throughout throughout the U.S. And, and that was unthinkable for 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 those types of companies to even endeavor to accomplish so they can connect. However, they need to connect and there are entire businesses, you know, we, we, we have a podcast coming out in a couple of weeks where, you know, there are entire businesses that are based on taking abandoned, you know, power plants that are no longer, you know, operating or operating in a way that's not necessarily, you know, sustainable for, for future growth and leveraging the fact that you have the distribution networks from those power plants there in order to, you know, make them, you know, potential you know, huge energy sites that can be repurposed for data center development globally. And, yeah. and that becomes that becomes the main the main draw. So, you know, it's interesting to, you know, again, that 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 being able to have that 30,000 foot view where you understand, you know, the, the, the various components that go into what makes a site attractive and recognizing that the evolution of the data and, and the evolution of where these things need to be is just going to continue. You know, you could use the word sprawl, you can use, you know, whatever. It's just going to continue to creep, yeah, to, to use the worst possible word for <laughs> into, into every one of these other markets and the distributed, you know, compute as the eyeballs tend, you know, about of, of, of the major populated cities and you have you know, network connectivity that's available all over the, you know, there, there's not going to be many markets that don't have some level of of data center you know construction being being a part of their their core you know development plan yeah absolutely 100 luke what are some of the challenges that you foresee that we need to get ahead of sustainability is 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 a major thing that's being talked about energy efficiency green you know those are some of the core elements that we talk about what, what do you think is the biggest thing that we need to get in front of i honestly i i, I don't I wouldn't want to say the biggest thing. I, I would I would lump it into to tiers, right? I, I would say the the top tier concern that we really need to get in front of is, is like you said, sustainability. You know, right now, at least from from my view, you know, sustainable land use and responsible land use is important because we're, we're no longer talking about taking down 10, 15, 20 acre sites. We're talking about taking down six, 800, 1,000 acre sites. Um, so really understanding how that fits into, you know, the, the local ecosystem is, is extremely important. And then as power do that, power densities go up, obviously sustainability becomes more of an issue. And then the other one is, is really the skill shortage. You know, as we, we try and become better as an industry, as we try to be more efficient, as we try to be more sustainable, those, those, those type of goals and those require resources, right? Like it, it's hard to build a 
perfect sustainability program when you're, you can't staff projects and you're just running around trying to put out the next fire, right? So we, we need to make sure we're attracting the, the best and the brightest into the industry that, that we're able to get people to, to bring lessons learned from other industries to, to really apply to, to data centers to, to help us grow. So, you know, I, I think especially on the sustainability side, collaboration and, and getting, making sure the, the industry is properly staffed with the right people is, is going to be key for us to be able to, to meet these, these compute demand growth. It's, it's, it's amazing. You're basically sharing a value proposition. Believe me, folks, I did not tell Luke to say <laughs> the human capital deficit, education, sustainability. Those are things that we do talk about all the time. So Luke, thank you very much. You know, this, this, <laughs> this is perfect pitch. The nice thing, the nice thing, this nice thing about Luke also is uh, he would be perfect for my caricature. So it's like, there was a picture of Luke in our little logo here. A little different. Something you didn't work on your five o'clock shadow. Besides that, when well, people are talking about, they are real issues, right? You know, it, it, it's not that it, it's just they're 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 certainly impactful now. And as, as time goes on, as the industry grows, as as we take down bigger sites, more power, and and you know, as Philip creeps around and expands the data centers, you know, we're we're gonna need we're gonna need more people. That that's all there is to it. That human capital deficit and education is something that's near and dear to us. And that's the reason the Nomad Futures Academy and the foundation. All right. I'm going to try to put you on the spot here. Okay. <laughs> Explain your job to a, a fourth grader. I, I, you know, I, let I, me get my son. Let me get my son. No, you know what? He's not here. I almost had a fourth grader for you to explain it to. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've heard, you know, various, various plays on this question. And I've heard, I've heard some people that give just amazing, succinct, or, you know, re really great answers. And I don't, I, I never have a good answer to this question, right? I, I am not one of those people that, that can really summarize it, you know, so I, I, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm building big computer rooms. That's what, you know, I'm, I'm building the infrastructure that, that houses, you know, the, the, the back end of, of what, what you're using every day on a, on a daily basis. I don't have kids, so I don't talk to a lot of fourth graders. So I don't know. They're probably smarter than I am, frankly, but I, I, I just, I, I've heard that question many different ways. And honestly, I've, I've, I've always wondered how I'm going to answer it. I just, I, I don't have a good answer. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give say, you the answer. I'll give you the answer for, for a fourth grader specifically. Um, I'm building like I'm in Minecraft in order to support your ability to use Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> Phil obviously spends a lot of time, <laughs> but I would say that you did a pretty good job. All right. So knowing what you know today and based on your journey and, and having that practical trades experience, what would you do differently? If anything, would you take the same career path or would you, you know, look at something differently? You know, the, the only thing I would do differently is I would. I would reach out for help sooner. You know, one, one of the things that I, I really like about this industry is, you know, once, once I became more established and once I had relationships, um, you know, I, 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 I do like to go and ask for help, you know, whether it's peers, whether it's competitors, whether it's designers or builders, but you know, I, I, I can reach out. I I've never reached out to anyone in the industry and gotten a cold shoulder or someone not been willing to help me. So, you know, if I went through this path, I believe that, you know, I, I, I would have accelerated my career growth if I just asked for help more, asked for mentorship more. I, like I said, it just, it, it, the industry is filled with so many great, intelligent people that are willing to help you. You just need to come out and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm an APM over here. This is where I want to be in my career. You know, what do you think I should do next? I think if I did more of that when I was younger, I, I would have 
I, I, I loved my journey and I, I wouldn't change it, but I, I think I would have gotten a, a more defined path earlier if I just reached out to people that, that were in the positions I wanted to be in and just said, Hey, let me buy you a cup of coffee. I need help. And I, I haven't done that to anyone and them not giving me great feedback and great answer and have been totally open about it. So. And I think, I think it's a great point and, and, and it's really it's not your fault. It's, it's more societal, right? We're, we're taught to, you know, fake it until we make it. We're taught to, and to a certain extent, you know, life is a confidence game. I get it. You need to be confident about it and you don't want to be, you know, you know, you don't want to tiptoe around, around anything. But at the end of the day, showing vulnerability is not weakness. It's, it's strength. And, you know, anyone that isn't willing to help you, um, it says more about them than it does about you. And, and like you said, our industry is full of people. We need help. Like everybody in our industry has this recognition that, you know, we need to establish the future leaders of tomorrow because Nabil and I need to be able to retire at some point. You know, it's, it's, it's been crazy. Anyway, before I start losing my hair. I can't, I think that ship has sailed, man. I think it's, you know, it's too late to tell about it's, yeah. Um, anyway, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us. You know, I think, I think your, your path from, you know, from, you know, mechanical engineer tradesman to, to, you know, being at the forefront of building in our industry is, is the exact, you know, right path that I think people don't necessarily recognize that, that they could take. So I, I think it's valuable. Yeah, it's certainly a phenomenal story to share from where you started to where you're at today. That's what we're trying to enforce and, and share with the younger generation. There's a lot of sub-verticals within the industry, and there's a lot of ways that you can actually get into this industry and be successful. And, you know, what you said, ask for help and look for mentors, that that's what's going to redefine and change the, the future. And the other thing so, that you said about oh, you're supporting the Nomad Futurist Foundation against all else, because just the, <laughs> perfectly... Perfect foundation at the right time. Taking the words right out of my mouth, you know. <laughs> and well, you just have that. You have the best haircut ever. I mean, just, it's, just, it's, just, it's perfect. Thank you, Luke, for taking the time to join us today. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Really enjoyed getting to know you and I hope to see you soon in person. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back. Currencies will rebound. Businesses will go on and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.